0: There's a mistake uh, that people make almost all the time and that is this. They don't take advantage of what the church can be to them and because of it they lack joy in their life. Here's what it is. Here's a common story. So someone's Someone's in this place where their life is hard or they're searching or they have questions or they're like, hey, let me just get back into the church. So they come to a church, they start checking it out, and the grace of God starts filling up in them. And they start tasting the grace of God and they're being moved towards God and they're actually worshiping God. And, and essentially what happens is they get enough of a dose of God and they say, okay, that's enough. Um, and then it just kind of becomes uh, a bit of a growing just stagnant and, and, and they lack joy and here's the purpose. Here, I mean here's the reason why that happens because there's a switch that has to happen to us. There's a change that we have to make and here's the change. We discover the grace of God and we say man the grace of God is the most wonderful thing I've ever experienced in my life and then there's something else that happens. We've tasted the grace And now we begin to help others taste that grace as well. And that's the switch that has to happen because we can come here all that we want to be filled up with the grace of God, but I'm telling you, once you make that switch and you start seeking to have other people discover this grace as well, here's what starts happening. You actually start relying on God more than you did before. And you start discovering the grace of God more than you did before. And as that happens, you begin growing further and discovering God way more than you realized you could. You thought you were all the way up at the top and you realize, man, you are just scratching the surface of the amount of grace that God has given you, the amount of love that he has for you, and you begin to discover his glory, beauty, and worth in a whole new way. But you've got to make that switch. And I really want you to know this. You are made to have an amazing life of you connecting to God and at the same time you connecting others to God. And you have a joy that comes with that, but you're probably missing out on it because you're not making the switch that needs to happen. Where you are not just here to absorb God's word, but you're here to absorb God's word and then offer it to others. In whatever way that God has called you to do that. So we're in our series called Moxie, and I got my Moxie Cola here. And (laughs) we've been looking... We've been looking at, in Moxie, what we're saying is to be, to be a person of Moxie means you have joy and you have peace and you have contentment, but at the same time, you are determined for other people around you to discover that same joy, peace, and contentment that you have found in Christ. And the per, here's what happens. The person with Moxie becomes radically other-centered, and here's why. You think about it like this. We're imagine you're dying of thirst. All you can think about is getting your thirst quenched. You need water, you need something. So you become obsessed with getting this water that you so badly need. It's all you can think about. You're thinking about yourself, Oh, all you can do because you need that water. And so you become obsessed with it. Now here's what happens. And by, and by the way, do you know this? In other countries, people will take these pots and they will travel A whole entire day's journey to get water at a water source to bring it all the way back. They'll take a whole entire day to get water for them and their family. Now, here's what someone with Moxie does. Here's what someone with Christian Moxie does. They now have a tap in their house of water, who is Christ. And he is enough for them. He's filled them up and he's continuing to fill them up. That's why it's so important to continue to come every Sunday morning because you're continuing to be filled up. And now look what happens. Because you've been filled, you don't have to worry anymore. You don't have to, your thirst has been quenched, so now look what you can do. You don't have to take a whole day long journey, you simply offer the same water that you have to others, and so you've made that switch. See, a lot of times I think what we're doing is we're, we're taking, we're maybe coming here and maybe every once in a while and we get filled up enough and we're done, but, but there's a way for it to, the grace of God to overflow. And the more you surround yourself here with the people and you're filled up with God's grace, what happens is it begins to spill over to others because you're being filled up so much that you don't have to worry about yourself anymore. God is enough, Christ is enough, you've been satisfied and so now you can offer that to others. And if you're not doing that, you're missing out on joy. I promise you, you are. So I want to read to you. We just got a few verses today. Philippians 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, my, beloved, my brothers, and, he, and the word here is brothers and sisters. So therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eodia and I entreat syndicate to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. All right, so I just want to give you a quick recap of everything we've covered for the last two weeks. So uh, a few weeks ago, we said that the person with Moxie, they realized something. They realize, and, and by the way, so last week we saw Paul talking about this being out on a track, and he compares the Christian life to being out on a track, and you're running this race, and there's the version of who you currently are and the version of who you're made to become, and to be out on that track is to work towards becoming who you're made to become. Now, here's, here's how you start the race, and here's what we saw two weeks ago. The person with Moxie, they realize they have two options. They can either approach God with their record or Christ's record, and they have to pick one. And the Bible is screaming at you with all of its might to get you to hold up, to go to God and to hold up Christ's record instead of your own. And we're so tempted to hold up our record to say, God, look at all this great stuff I'm doing for you. God, bless me because of all this stuff I'm doing for you. And as soon as you do that, you're forfeiting the record of Christ. So hold on to Christ's record. Always be bringing that to God. And so here's what that means. And then also we saw that last week that... There's this end version of you that you're one day made to become, and you're out on that track, and you're moving in that direction. Now, here's, here's how you pi- picture this whole thing. You start the race, and you are already crowned. You start this race, and you already have a medal. That's what it means to be clothed in Christ. So, the perfect record of Christ has just been clothed upon you. That's what it means to be a Christian. Everything's good. You, it's as if you've won the race, But underneath that clothing, you know who you really are and how you're acting. However, God sees you clothed in Christ. But the version you're one day made to become, you're going to get there. No matter what God is bringing you through there, as soon as you enter through the eternity shore, like we sang about, you become who you're made to become. And in this life right now, we are becoming more and more and more of who we're made to become. And Christ comes out on that track, and when we fall down, he's picking us up. When we hit the hurdles, when we get all scraped up, he's there with us the whole time, and he's taking us, he's determined to make us who we're made to become. Now today, Paul does something that's absolutely fantastic. So he keeps on going with this track imagery, and he calls these Philippian people, the Philippian church, he calls them his joy and his crown. There's another place in the book of Thessalonians where he calls them his joy, and his glory. Now, crown and glory are probably referring to the same thing. Now, here's what you got to be asking right now. You say, well, hold on. The Bible keeps saying that God is the one who's supposed to get the glory, so why is Paul saying that he's getting glory? Why is he saying that these people are his glory? Why is he saying these people are his joy? Isn't God supposed to be his joy? Why is Paul saying this? What does he mean here? Well, here's what he's saying. And I hope you're ready to hear this. Paul is filled up with such love for these people. And he sees himself as being out on the track with them. And he sees them as his joy and as his crown and as his glory. In other words, he is so obsessed with loving these people that when they become a little bit more of who they're meant to become, he is filled with more and more and more joy. And he's seeing this when he says crown because he's starting the race with the crown already on him, meaning there's a version of him he's meant to become. And he knows that that version, that he has a destiny, and that destiny is to love the hell out of people and get them to become more and more and more of who they're made to become. So he's wearing his crown. In other words, saying, my destiny is you to love you guys. This is my purpose. This is why I'm here on the earth. And it is my, such a major joy for him, for you, people he's talking to, to become more and more and more of who they're made to become. And the other picture you get, and I look, we don't know what this looks like, but it, it's sounding like Paul is saying that when he enters into eternity, that they're still his glory and joy. and meaning this, I think. It's this picture of... Man, I'm so glad we sang this song beforehand. So just picture eternity shore, okay? It's this picture of, like, we're coming up on the boat and we're entering into eternity and you see all of the, Paul sees all the people that he has been pouring his life into, pouring his soul into, pouring his love into, and they're there on eternity shore and they're there because of him, because of his influence that he's had on them. And he sees them and it fills him with so much joy. And it's so much of, as if to say, this is the most glorious thing that I get to be part of this happening to you. That's what he means there, by joy and crown. He sees it as his destiny because he's on the track, but he knows who he's going to become, and he's already been clothed in the glory of Christ, and he's, God has told him what he ought to be doing in his word, and so that means he's loving people with all of his might. It's very clear for Paul what he's supposed to do with his life, to get out on that track And run alongside of the people who are in his life. And move them closer and closer and closer into who they're made to become. Now, what does that have to do with you? Everything. That's the life that you are called to live as well. Your joy and crown. There's a few verses before this where Paul tells the Philippian church to imitate him. There's another place where Paul says, imitate me as I am imitating Christ. And Paul is saying to every single one of us, every single one of you, to do the very same, to make people your joy and your crown. Every single one of us. Love the hell out of them. Paul's saying that When you have this moxie, when you have gone to Christ and you have experienced the joy and the peace and the love that comes from him, that you get this tap in your house now, and you are filled up with this tap. You're being satisfied by the love of Christ, and as this is happening, this is overflowing in you, and now you can offer it to others. But you've got to go get it first. But once you get it in Christ, it's overflowing. So he's saying, don't just drink of the tap and then just go about your life. Drink of the tap and keep drinking it until it's overflowing. And then you've got all of this joy and peace and stuff inside of you. And you're taking these cups of water where there's so thirsty. people around you are th- so thirsty, and you're offering it to them. You need the tap in your house, though. And the only way to get that is to keep coming here. The only way to get that is to be involved in the church where you're constantly being filled with the grace of God. Do you know, I mean, there is such important work for you to do. And it's work that's going to give fulfillment to you. Now, now, some of you, like I've heard you talk, some of you don't like your job. Some of you hate your job. And, and I, I want you to know Something. I think if Paul had your job, he would love it. No matter what it is that he's doing, because there's people around him. And for Paul, it's his absolute purpose, it's his destiny, it's the very reason he still has breath, is to love people. So as long as people are around Paul, he's good. Yeah, maybe your job might not be the best job for you. Maybe there is a better job for you, but it doesn't matter. That doesn't mean you have to hate your job, because there's people around you, and your sole purpose in life is to love people. It's so simple. Just love people. Paul's doing everything he can to get out on that track and run alongside people to get them to love Christ, to see the love that Christ has for them. He's determined. He sees it as the very reason he still has breath. He is, was still there. Let me say it this way. You are still here. If you are a Christian, you are still here because God wants you to love others around you. That's the main reason you're still here. So he seeks seeks people out so that they can stand firm in Christ and do just as he's doing. Don't just come here. And get a steroid shot of grace and go back and living your life the exact way that you're living. Keep getting the steroid shot of grace over and over and over again so you are spilling over with the love and the grace of God and now you have cups to offer others. But if you're just waiting until, like, I've been filled with the grace of God and then you just wait a long time and then you come back and you're like, okay, I'm filled back up again and then you wait a long time and you're filled back up again. There's not enough spilling over for others. So just... You got to just keep on getting filled up and then if you do, then you're, then you're loving others and as that's happening, you're experiencing joy in your life. The job of the church is to help that happen in your life. To keep filling you with the truth about Christ so you get filled up all the way and then begin to spill over so now you can do the same for others. The degree that you are connected to Christ is the degree that you will connect others to Christ. And when you're connecting others to Christ, you will experience joy. But you got to make the switch. you got to make the switch where it becomes not just about you discovering God, but you helping others discover God. And when you do, you're discovering God more along the way. And perhaps, I mean, let's be honest, perhaps we're not happy because we're really living for ourselves more than other people. And because of that, we're just quenching our soul just enough. And by just quenching your soul just enough, there's nothing left for anybody else. Look at this. The more you spend time with Christ, the more you have what you need, The more you have what you need, the more you become satisfied and you can stop thinking about yourself and obsessing over yourself and start thinking about others. You will stop thinking about yourself so much when you see that you can be satisfied in Christ. And once you are satisfied in Christ, then you can start thinking about other people. But it's impossible without him. You will always feel like you're dying of thirst without Christ. There's no way around it. So you have to go to him. It's all about people. And you know, something, something that confuses me is our obsession with nature. Like, we love going to see these beautiful mountains. We love going to the ocean. And it's awesome. Like, that's great. But do you realize that the crown of God's creation is people? That we're actually made in the image of God. That means we're far more glorious than some mountain and some ocean. She likes what I'm saying. Might not sound that way. I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we obsess over these things of God's creation, which is great. This is great. But God has created us as the crown of his creation. As crowning of achievement. That means you are way more glorious than some mountain or some ocean. So yeah, look at the, I mean, look, it is amazing. It is amazing. And it does show the glory of God. God. But, and, and listen, I know, I know what you're thinking right now. Yeah, but a mountain doesn't talk back to me. Like, but, but listen, listen. Humanity, yeah, we are capable of some horrible things. And we've seen some very horrible things happen that we have done under our watch. But let me tell you something else. Together, united to God and each other, Living for the purpose of loving others, we're capable of some pretty amazing things too. So, yeah, we have a tendency to do horrible things, but you know what? If we're united to God and each other and we're seeking to love like we should, telling you right now, when we do that, you're going to see some amazing things start happening. And look, God knows humanity has failed, He's very aware. That's why the cross had to happen, that's why the resurrection had to happen. But, but listen, listen to this. He rose from the grave and he did all of this to transform you. And God can transform you. And so if that means you look at someone and you think, "Ah, oh, no, they're not capable of love, you have no idea who God is then. And you have no idea what grace is. And you haven't really experienced grace because if you don't think God could transform the lowliest of person, then w- w- what are we saying That God only transforms those who are like to this level? That's not what grace is. You got to start looking at people differently. And you got to start looking at not who they are right now, but who God has made them to become. And then you get out on that track with them and you help them along the way. And you do whatever it takes. You love them. And you just keep loving them. Even when they piss you off, even when you're like, man, a mountain won't talk back to me, but you're talking back to me. Like, one, like, just get over it. Like, you're probably not so great either. <laughs> just that is what love is. Love is patient, love is kind, it's gracious. In fact, you know what God says? God says, the way, the, the Bible, this is all over the Bible. How do, how do you know if you love God? by how you treat others. God says, if you love me, you will obey me. And the first thing he tells us to do is go love others. In fact, you'll see a lot of times, it's like, what does it mean to be a Christian? It doesn't even say to love God first. It says to love others because loving others is evidence that you have received the love of God and now you're loving the people around you. They're right here. They're tangible. They're right in front of you. Got to look at people different. And we got to see people as like opportunities. Like God has put people in your life as opportunities for you to display his love to them. Just to simply love. Not as them being a project, but just because it's who you are. You know, like theologians have been debating for the long time, like what people are. or, Or philosophers, like are we thinking people? Are we doing people? Are we feeling people? And the answer is we are lovers. Primarily, we're not thinkers, doers, or feelers. We are lovers. That's the core of what we're made to do. And we're going to love something. And if we're not loving God, we're not going to love people like we ought to. Because he is love. He love fills in us, and then it pours out of us. You want something to love. And the best thing for you to love is God, and then he'll cause you to love people. Opportunities all around you. To get out on the track with people and help them become who they're made to become. And you say, well, I don't know how to help them become who they're made to become. Just love them. Just love them and you'll figure it out. If you love them enough, you're going to figure it out. Okay, look, do this. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm out on the track with you. Sorry, I'm going to make you do this. I'm out on the track with you and I love you. Let's go. You guys are so weird. Why did you do that? All right, there's something else now. All right, keep going. I've just given you a reason to talk, and this was a horrible idea. Something else else you have to figure out is who is your joy and your crown. Because for Paul, he's identified very clearly who the people are that he is fighting for. These are the people that give him joy. These are the people who are his crown. So we got to figure out who that is, and look at—I mean, he's saying it indirectly in a way. But so we have these two women in this story, who are working to bring God's kingdom in the in the church of Philippi, and as they're working for this, it seems that they've come into some type of disagreement. And so what Paul tells all of these people around them to do, I mean, he says, my true companion. Now, this could be talking about one specific person or he could be talking about like the whole congregation. He says it in the singular. I'm boring you now, but he says it in the singular. So he, but he could be talking to everybody. I'm not sure, but here's what he's saying. Get out on the track with them. Help them figure this out for the sake of my glory, my beauty, and my worth going out. That's what God is trying to get us to do. And there's all these people together who are trying to seek to do this. But he says to them, he says, my true companion, companion, make these two women your joy and your crown. In other words, get out on the track with them. They're your destiny. Those are the people for you to love, to help them figure this out. You got to be very clear. You got to very clearly know who the people are in your life that are your joy and your crown. So, let's start easy. Start with your spouse. You're like, that's not easy. Well, here's what, <laughs> here's what I mean. Your spouse is the person that you are out on the track with more than anybody else besides Christ. And they're there to help you become who you're made to become, and you are there to help them, you are there to help them become who they're made to become. In other words, you have a ministry to your spouse. And I think the way we often interact with our spouse is more like, you, be, you serve me. And we start keeping score. And we start measuring things. And if they're not measuring up to what we want, then we kind of pull down. And what needs to happen is we all need to just go all in in loving our spouse and serving our spouse without keeping score. This is, this is it's right here. I mean, this is, this is what love is. So we're figuring out who the people are. So that means you're praying for them. It means you're praying with them. It means you're in the Bible with them. And it means that you're saying things to them like this. Like, confess your sins to me. Like, it's okay. I'm going to love you and I'm going to forgive you no matter what. I'm going to help you become who you're made to become. All right, kids. Now, your job with your kids can get a bit confusing. And I'm convinced that we're all very confused about this. Because here's Why? there's like a bullhorn yelling at you what your kids need to be like. And it's this way that the world thinks, the way our culture thinks, what success looks like for your kids. And I have a hypothesis that we are working harder to get our kids to look more like what the world wants them to look like than what God wants them to look like. And you know what that means then? That means that the end version of who they're made to become out on the track, it means that there's a potential that we're not pointing them in the right direction. And here's something I think we do a lot. So we become a bit obsessed with our kids' success. And so we want them to be successful, which is a great thing. But I think we're using the, the world's understanding of what success is more often. And we're getting them to chase after their own success. And the success that the Bible sees for your kids is actually them working to help the success of others. And I don't know that we're really teaching our kids that very much. Where we're saying to them, look, the most successful thing that you can do is to stop so worrying about your success and walk alongside others and help them be successful. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to be successful in life because they're doing that. But I think that we've got this understanding of, and, and even for us, we do the same thing for us. We're chasing success and one of the most successful things you could do, you gotta change your parameters here and you just gotta realize this most successful thing you can do is to work for the success of others and that's gonna make you more successful in the long run. But you know what, even if it doesn't, it doesn't matter because you are loving people and that's your very purpose for being here still. We gotta change the way we're thinking about who we're made to one day become. All right, then your friends. Now, this is a, we're in this together type of thing. Like, we're all in the same place. We're all in the same place on the track. Maybe someone's a little further. Maybe someone's a little bit behind, but it doesn't really matter because essentially what we're saying is we're doing this together and we're getting to this end goal together. So let's go and let's encourage each other along the way. And Christ is there along with us. This is what actually our discipleship groups are all about, which we're about to relaunch. You guys all need to be in a discipleship group. I'm telling you, this is how you become more of who you're made to become. Now, I want to tell you this, though. You can only love so many people. Like, you love everybody. But there's only so much time, there's only so much energy that you have, and so there's a certain amount of people that you can love. So you think about it like this, a Lego, like a Lego has however many pegs. Say it has eight pegs. I don't even know if that's what they're called, but you know what I'm talking about. And so each peg represents a person in your life. So let's say there's eight. And that's the, that's the amount of people that you can fully like love and give attention to, and each person on that peg has a different responsibility that you have towards them whether it's your kids or your spouse or your friends or coworkers or whatever. So I want to give you three suggestions to do with these pegs who are people. First, you probably need to be more intentional about loving those people. Like to really think, like, what does it mean for me to really love them? How would God have me love them? That's the first thing to do. Second thing to do is you probably should try to have more prongs on there pegs or whatever they're called. So um, so let's say you're just, you know, you have a hard time managing a bunch of relationships. So let's say you have six. You say, man, I probably could get two more. So you stretch yourself in allowing two more pegs to come into your life. People, I feel funny calling people pegs. Um, also, here's the third thing to do. Make two of those pegs or prongs or whatever we're calling them um, open for new people to come in and maybe those new people come in and you invest in them and then it's time for them to go do the same thing for other people that's what Paul's doing I mean Paul's constantly has new people coming into his life and he's sending them out to go do some awesome stuff but he's loving them he's loving them all all of them the best that he can and then he says go and do the same to other people and so you leave a couple spaces open for new people because you don't know what God's going to do And you're like, well, how do I figure this out? I don't know. Just pray about it. Like, I don't know what you need to do. I mean, just love people, and you're going to figure out the rest of the stuff that you need to do. The question, though, is at the end of your life, do you want to be seen as successful in worldly standards, but not having had loved people, or do you want to, with all your might, be loving people? and seeking their success, and let that be what your success is, and let that be what you're known for. So, this is a lot harder than it sounds. I mean, because we're talking about making people your joy and your crown. I mean, meaning you become obsessed with people in a healthy way. You become obsessed with loving them with all your might. And this is very hard, because we're very me-centered people. And so how do we do that? And the answer is actually very easy, though it's a hard process. And that is you have to see that you are Christ's joy and crown. So here's what happens. Christ is looking down upon us and he sees our own self-obsession. He sees how we're just living for ourselves. With all of our might, we are living for ourselves. And we're seeking our own glory and our own beauty and our own worth, and we're just fighting for our success. And it's so hard to think about other people, and he sees this in us. And so here's what he does. He leaves his throne in heaven. He puts down his own crown, puts down his glory. And he comes to meet us. And we're fighting so hard, we're just obsessed with ourselves. And he comes and and we see him without his crown. And we say, what's going on? Where's your crown go? And he says, I'm trading it. You have now become my crown. And then he says, there's a place in the Bible and it says, the joy, the cross is the joy that is set before Christ. Now here's what that means. It, It was not comforting for him to go to the cross. It was not a joy. The cross was not the joy what it was going to give him, what was it going to give him, you. It was going to give him, give him you, the end version of what you're one day made to become. He's fighting for that. And so the cross becomes a joy for him because of what it's going to produce in you. And you know what? Now he looks all the more glorious because you see him come it, without his glory. He lays his glory aside and he comes bruised. He becomes broken. He comes beaten up, scarred, bleeding from th- this, crown, this new crown of thorns that he's wearing. He's got blood coming out of his hands and his side. And you see him there and, and he says to you, I did this for you. And when you see that, he becomes all the more glorious. And he becomes exalted in your life. And then he takes back his crown, but now he's sitting with his crown on his throne, having come and put it down to get you. And that makes him all the more glorious. And so, what we have to do is we have to learn to go and drink from the well of his love and be satisfied by it and be filled up with love in such a way that we now go, whoever's around us, and we're just loving the hell out of them. And when we fail, we go right back to Christ and we get filled back up and we go and we say, I'm sorry, I failed in loving you, but I love you. And we do it again because he has done it for us. So we go and do likewise. Likewise. Father, we ask now that you would fill us. We are so thirsty for you, Christ. And we keep going to the wrong well. And we pray now, God, that you would lead us to the well that never will run dry so we could drink up and then offer this love that you have for us that would satisfy us and we could offer it to others. Give us the strength to do that, God, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.